the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a Friday right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to thank the texter that just got in early on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Must have been listening to the afternoon news service. Yeah, yesterday was my one-year anniversary of being at WDEV. It's been an honor to build this show, especially from the ground up. It's been great to be here at DEV and to engage with a lot of our listeners and a lot of listeners that never knew me. So I'm sure there were some listeners I brought over from my previous location, but a lot of new listeners that have given me a chance and welcomed me in to the WDEV family and onto their radio. So appreciate all of you. Now we're on to year number two. We do have a short show today, so we will get right to it. We only go up until six o'clock and then we bring you Red Sox Nationals for our final regular season series of the year. Beginning next week, we're going to be on almost 90 minute shows all the time here. I don't know what will happen with the Red Sox, but we won't have the daily grind of Red Sox baseball. So we'll have more, much more 90 minute shows and eventually we'll have all 90 minute shows moving forward. So we're excited about that. The Red Sox enter this series right now, tied with the Mariners for the second wild card spot and one game ahead of the Blue Jays. So it is just a unbelievable race right now in the American League. And the Red Sox are trending down while the Mariners are trending up and the Blue Jays are kind of going through peaks and valleys. So everyone's kind of at different points right now, but this is what baseball wanted when they created the second wild card. So baseball certainly getting what it's what it wanted and fans Maybe not if you're a Red Sox fan, but fans are getting the excitement of playoff caliber baseball a couple of days early. We've got a ton of extra content on the podcast channel as usual this week. Buster Olney of ESPN was with us on the podcast channel. Buster's always with us on Thursday. He had to to, to move his spot for this week until Friday, so we spoke to him earlier today. That interview is already posted on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Just search for the Brady Farkas show. We got a, a fancy new logo for the Brady Farkas show. So look for it, subscribe to us and get all of our content. Buster's interview is already up. Phil Perry of NBC sports, Boston. Will we will be with us here live in about 10 minutes to talk Pats and bucks. So Phil is always with us on Friday. You can always get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. 3026, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. All right, let's go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. This is a nightmare scenario for the Red Sox. There is no other way to say it. This is a nightmare. We told you on Wednesday of this week that the Red Sox could not afford to not be in control of their own destiny, and yet here we are. You have the Red Sox 
tied with Seattle. Seattle's won nine of their last ten, and they really believe in themselves. You are now tied with them. You have a team in Toronto that's angry that just got beat by the Yankees two out of three, and they'll take on the Orioles, and certainly, like you were, they'll be expected to win that series, if not sweep. So the Red Sox, while they are tied with Seattle in the standings, they are now behind the eight ball. They no longer control their own destiny. Toronto's got the easier schedule. They're right on their tails. And Seattle's got all their belief while the Red Sox are reeling. And the thing that's most frustrating about the Red Sox right now is that you've taken all the leads, all the advantages, all the margins for error that you had, and you've blown them all. And Alex Cora, the manager, he knows it. Um, you know, Obviously, we got to win, and um, we've been talking about winning series, and we haven't won the last two. You know, this one uh, it wasn't it wasn't good at all. Obviously, the Yankee one wasn't great, but I, I think we still control our own destiny, right? So uh, just show up tomorrow, put a good game, you know, and uh, go over there to DC, and we got to win. You know, and that's there's no more, you know, uh, I don't want to say excuses, right? We don't have we don't we don't make excuses, but. We have to win out. We have to win. We have to win this series and uh, see where he takes us. Despite what Cora said in that clip, the Red Sox really don't control their own destiny. By the end of the weekend, by the end of the regular season, the Red Sox could end up out of the playoffs entirely, and they could end up with a nasty tiebreaker scenario that is really, really confusing. If the Red Sox, Mariners, and Blue Jays all end up tied you have three teams for one spot, and you have this double tiebreaker with multiple play-in games. It's nasty. I hope we don't get there. I hope that whatever happens, we just get a clear second wild card winner by the end of the weekend. That's the goal. But we could end up with a real nasty tiebreaker scenario. And it's amazing because we went from a week ago, prior to the Yankees, when the Red Sox were rolling, wearing the uh, yellow jerseys, a week ago, we went from the Red Sox looking to host the wild card game and set up their pitching to now having to use probably both Chris Sale and Nathan Evaldi again in the regular season just to get into the playoffs. And if you're forced to play in these tie these tiebreaker play-in games, you won't have Sale or Evaldi available when you do get to the playoffs. Like it's crazy what has happened in the span of a week. The Red Sox had everything rolling a week ago host the playoff game, and set up their pitching. Now, their pitching is going to be in shambles. They probably have to use, would be my guess, Erod goes tonight. It would be my guess that Sales got to pitch tomorrow. I mean, maybe they don't want to do that because of his arm. Maybe Hauk, but you know, you're going to have to use probably Sale and Ivaldi in some capacity just to get to the playoffs. And then if you end up in a tiebreaker scenario, you're going to have to use the other one. You know, you're going to have to use them again, and you won't have them available for the actual wild card game. This is worst case scenario stuff. And for three and a half months, from about the beginning of spring training, maybe four and a half, from about February 15th until about the beginning of July, I, I had the same take for four and a half months. I said the Red Sox will finish fourth. And they won't win the division. I said that forever. And then their play made me change that take. And the sad thing is, by the end of this weekend, I may end up being exactly right. The Red Sox are certainly better than we expected record-wise. And overall, the season had the, the overall season hasn't been a disaster. 
but the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks have been a disaster. I may end up being right. This team may miss the playoffs and may finish fourth. And the Red Sox, frankly, are very, very lucky that this is Tom Brady week. Because all the talk about Brady coming back to Foxborough has saved them from getting crushed both here and regionally because all the focus has been on Brady. And Monday, if they truly do collapse and miss the playoffs entirely, Monday will likely be dedicated a lot to Brady as well. The Red Sox should send a bouquet of flowers to Tom Brady. They should, High and Bloom should deliver a bouquet of flowers to Tom Brady in Foxborough this weekend because he has taken the heat off this team. They are lucky that it is Tom Brady week because this is embarrassing, and it's almost hard to quantify. A team that led the AL East by nine games in July has now been passed by two teams in the Yankees and Rays and could be passed by a third in Toronto, and then Seattle, who hasn't made the playoffs in 20 years. The Seattle Mariners have not made the playoffs in 20 years, and they are in a position to pass the Red Sox. If you're a gambling person, one week ago, the Red Sox were minus 2,500 to make the playoffs, a.k.a. you'd have to bet $2,500 in order to just win $100. So basically, it was such a lock, it wasn't even worth doing. Now, they are plus 110. That's how far the Red Sox have fallen. And there's a this is a total failure with a lot of different parts to it. Injuries have played a role. Sawamura was injured. Darwin's and Hernandez. Josh Taylor. Garrett Whitlock. Christian Arroyo. Kyle Schwarber, who they acquired, didn't come back, had a setback for a little bit. COVID obviously played a role. The bullpen. Matt Barnes has continued to really struggle. And now at the most critical moments of the season, the offense is nowhere to be found. Red Sox have lost five times in their last six games. They've scored three runs or less in every one of those losses. Xander Bogarts is two for his last 23. I mean, this is unacceptable. The offense is supposed to carry you, and it has done nothing but hurt you for the last week for sure. But even beyond that, the offense hasn't been particularly good. The Nationals stink. They've traded everybody not named Juan Soto. As long as you pitch around Juan Soto all weekend, you should win this series, and you would probably be favored to sweep it as well. The Nats are playing out the string. They've lost five of their last six. You should win this game. But based on what we just saw, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. The Red Sox should pounce on this team early, and as long as they don't pitch to Soto, they should win this series, and they should probably sweep, and we should be guaranteed them at least being a part of a tiebreaker scenario, at worst. At best, they clinch a wild card spot solely. At worst, them in Seattle, each sweep, and we end up with a tiebreaker. But the Red Sox should own this series, but based on what we saw, I'm not sure they will. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We will step aside, and then we will come back and talk a little football. Football Talk Friday, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. The players are tired of the Tom Brady storyline. Is Phil? That's next on DEV. The biggest stories in Foxborough. Your primary goal should be finding out if Mac Jones is good. All the information from Patriots Place. Bill Belichick's going to be 69 years old this year. They want 
to compete. It's Football Talk Friday with Patriots insider Phil Perry on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. A Football Talk Friday, and this is the football game of all football games. Tom Brady coming back to town. We're going to have it for you after Red Sox baseball on Sunday right here on WDEV. And joining us now is our guy, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, Patriots reporter. You can check him out on Ample Patriots podcasts, including the Next Pats podcast and the Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. Phil, we know the Patriots players are tired of hearing about Tom Brady. How has this week been for you? Are you tired of this storyline yet? No, never. Of course not. I I am ready to get into other aspects of the storyline, though, Brady. You know, I think the lead up to Brady's departure and the drama involved with that back and forth between he and Bill Belichick that really goes back years when Bill Belichick felt it probably wasn't in the team's best interest to give him a long-term deal. And Brady even actually acknowledging that to a certain extent in 2019 didn't mean he was happy about it, but he got that raise in 2019 that was initially reported as an extension. And I asked him about it the next day we were in Detroit for training camp practice. He said, listen, I get it essentially is what he said. He knew that he had broken the molds that athletes weren't expected to be among the best of the best at his age. And he understood to a certain extent why the Patriots wouldn't commit to him long term. And so there's a lot of rehashing of that, obviously. But I'm interested in the matchup, Brady. I'm interested in it all, but I'm interested in the matchup. And this is one of those weeks where the matchup sort of falls by the wayside. What's actually going to happen on the field falls by the wayside a little bit. We're starting to get into it, it feels like, more later in the week. But uh, that's really what I'm focused on now. It feels like we, we covered the past. Now let's look ahead to what Sunday night will actually look like. Well, I'm going to ask a couple of past questions before okay. we move to before we move to Sunday also, Sunday night. But, you know, I would make a terrible general manager because I often use my heart and not my head. I would have let Tom Brady finish out the string in New England for as long as he wanted. And if he was awful for the last three years, then so be it. I would have just said, hey, he was great for 20. This is what we deal with. Do you think Tom Brady was owed the right to finish up how he wanted in Foxborough? No. I, I, listen, he was he's owed everything. He's owed as much as any athlete should ever be owed. But does that mean that Bill Belichick should keep him just because of all he's accomplished here in New England? I really don't believe that. If Now, in retrospect, was it the right decision to let him move? I think even Bill Belichick would tell you he projected incorrectly. And that, to me, is what this came down to. Brady, actually, in his press conference down in Tampa Bay, used the word gamble when he said, I want to play well for the people who gambled on me, meaning Jason Light and Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think that word is appropriate. Bill Belichick gambled on the fact that Tom Brady wouldn't still be one of the best quarterbacks in football at age 43, 44, and beyond. And listen, there's a fair amount of evidence to back up Bill Belichick when it comes to that. Guys don't do what Brady's doing at this age. It just has not been done. And so I don't think that you just let a guy finish out if you think if you think there's a chance he's not very good in the near future you don't keep him around just because you love him just because he's done a lot for the organization 
Yeah, the decision may end up being wrong, but doesn't the Ben Roethlisberger situation right now kind of prove the methodology at least was right? The Steelers totally. bring him back, and he he very well might be weighing that team down. Brady, every quarterback in the history of the NFL proves the methodology right. Brady is the outlier. He's the one guy that is able to do what he's doing. And you could fault Bill Belichick for saying, well, he is an outlier, yes, but you had him in your building. You know better than anybody else how his body was performing, how well he takes care of himself, how seriously he takes his job, everything he does off the field. You could say that, but there's still no precedent for this. And I think that's what Bill Belichick was leaning on. I think it's what Bill Belichick was leaning on when he drafted Jimmy Garoppolo all the way back yeah. in 20. 20- and Brady made it clear that he was going to blow through that timeline. So Jimmy Garoppolo ended up never playing, and they end up moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo. And then they draft in such a way and they make moves of free agency in such a way that they really try to wring every last drop of the Tom Brady era that they can out of 2017, 2018, 2019. And Brady's still outplaying the timeline. So I I think Belichick's at the point where he tips his cap to Brady and says, hey, I never thought you'd be able to do this. Clearly you're doing it. Good for you. We all focus on the 2020 version of Brady and how he was so good last year. But we forget about what cap hell the Patriots were in in 2020. Do we see the same version of the Patriots last year if Brady's here? That's another thing I can't, you know, get away from. Like, I feel like last year was a transition year, whether Brady was here or not. The team wouldn't have been very good. Well, they would have been better, but you're right. They probably wouldn't have been very good. It probably would have been a pretty similar situation to where they were in 2019, which was not very good in the passing game a little bit banged up at different spots, and maybe instead of banged up, you lost people to COVID opt-outs. But one way or the other, you're missing key players. And so you probably end up looking at a, not a seven-win season, but nine, ten wins somewhere in there. And, hey, maybe you make the playoffs, but are you really contending? I would say no. And part of the reason they they were in a tough spot cap-wise last year is because they were paying Tom Brady still, or they at least were on the books. They had $13 of Brady's dead money that they had to deal with there. So last year, the season would have been better, but would they have been good, Brady? Probably not. And would they have been able to make the adjustments to their roster they made this offseason? Now, granted, they're not seeing those adjustments pay dividends just yet, but would they have been able to sign Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, some of the pieces they added defensively if Brady was here and on the contract that he wanted? Almost certainly not. They would have maybe been able to add a few of those guys, but not all. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, Pats analyst and insider, and also next Pats podcast and the Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast as well. You know, the one thing about the Seth Wickersham book that's coming out that everyone's been talking about this week, you know, it's understandable to me if Brady wanted more say in what was going on in the organization, but didn't Brady base his whole image here on just being one of the guys and not being better than anybody else? So if you secretly wanted this power, I can understand it, but don't you cease to be one of the like you're not one of the guys at that point so a couple things on this number one he did have say especially towards the end and what they were doing Muhammad Sanu was somebody that Tom Brady really wanted Hmm. and the pick way overpaid for that guy I mean you gave away a second round pick for somebody who who did less than nothing for you he was a net negative while he was here so the Antonio Brown acquisition that's somebody that both Bill Belichick and Tom Brady wanted in New England. They tried to make that work. It obviously didn't work out. So he did have some say towards the end. But you are right, Brady. Something changed along the way. And I think it was after that Falcons Super Bowl victory. That was their fifth 
nobody had ever done five before. It was at that point where Brady and those around him said, okay, now we start to do things a little bit differently. I mean, meaning we start to promote the brand a little bit more. And we got Tom versus time the next year. You get the TB 12 method book. It's everywhere. And I think at that point, Brady was bucking the culture to a certain extent here in New England. He knew it. He didn't mind. But I think Bill Belichick did. And it led to a lot of butting of heads. I mean, we, we saw at the end of Tom versus time just how dejected in some ways Tom Brady was. And it wasn't just because they lost the Super Bowl. Was He, he wasn't enjoying himself. His wife telling the camera that he wanted to feel appreciated. Hmm. And so that, I think, is where things started to some extent in terms of the break like put it to you this way Brady even if Bill sees that Brady's not slipping maybe at the rate that he thinks late in his career even if he is still very good does it at all push Belichick to make a move if Brady is still on the culture even if he is still the culture in some ways, if he's still setting the example and he's doing everything that he did for the better part of 20 years and he's still playing well, is Tom Brady still here? Like, I don't think so, but I think it's a question worth asking because you have the projection. That's number one. Can he do what we expect him to do into his mid forties? And I think the answer was ultimately no. And that was the biggest piece. But the fact that he wasn't on the program to the same extent that he always was, I think also led to things ending the way that they did. Does this game have a Super Bowl feel to it for you? It, it does. It really does because it's 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 ahead of a conference championship game for me in terms mm-hmm. of the build up, the attention, the glitz, the glamour, the the amount that everybody's talking about this game. I mean, there might as well not be another game in the NFL this weekend as as far as. Uh, uh, I'm concerned as far as I think a lot of people at least in this region are concerned. Uh, but even the national networks, I mean, they're, they're going out of their way to, to hype this up as a special, special game. And so that is why I would put it ahead of a conference championship game. I, is it ahead of a Super Bowl? I still say no, because the Super Bowl, you've got those two full weeks to build up to it. And it's, it's the entire world descends on one city for this. And a lot of networks will be here in Foxborough for this game of course. And so we'll have a little bit of that feel, but not quite to the same extent. So it's, it's, it's close, Brady. It really is. I mean, because talk about buildup, it hasn't just been the week four buildup. I mean, we've known this game is on the calendar for months and we've had our eye on it for months. I mean, it, it impacted the, who should be the quarterback Cam Newton or Mac Jones discussion in certain corners. So this has been building for a while now. That's why it has a, a, a almost a mini Super Bowl feel for me. Well, I'm glad you're being honest because Bob Sosi this week told us he didn't even put this game ahead of a uh, division title on the line regular season wow. game, and I found that to be completely – I'm more in your camp. <laughs> I, I just – I think the Patriots and, and certain people with the Patriots would would like to feel that way, but – and they may say that if you were to ask them right now. But I think once you get to the game, the emotion that's going to be involved – here Brady is going to be staggering and I don't think anybody's really ready for it because how could you be all the football Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have seen all the big moments that they've been asked to perform in Super Bowls conference championship games whatever it is they've never had to deal with anything like this 
they've never competed against one another at this level with all eyes on this game. It's the only game on. It's Sunday night football, and this is a moment that can't be replicated. So for all the experience they have, you can't know how you're going to react in this moment. And that, to me, is what makes this game so fascinating, especially the early portion of this game, because I think emotions are really going to be bubbling up. And I wonder if it impacts the product on the field, Brady. That's one thing that I'll be looking for early. I'll get you out of here on this. I think at the last check that I heard you put out on social media, or maybe I heard you say you thought close game Bucks ultimately win. Is that where you're still at? I'm still there. And uh, my prediction is 27-23 Bucks. That's up on NBCSportsBoston.com right now. Get into what I think the game plan will be on both sides of the ball. I, I really feel like Bill Belichick is going to have a plan ready to go that'll keep this game close and it will simultaneously Brady be the ultimate sign of respect for Tom Brady, but also be what's best for Bill Belichick's football team. So if he can kill those two birds with one stone, I think he'd jump at the chance. And and that to me, that plan is show Brady the respect that he deserves, meaning drop two safeties deep, get him to react the way you want him to react, which is not to throw against that look. It's to hand off against that look because there's one fewer body in the box to defend against the run and hope that you can keep it close defend against those explosive plays. It's the game plan that they ran against Peyton Manning in 2013. They had a phenomenal offense that year. They let no Sean Moreno for a run for well over 200 yards that night. And they won the game in overtime. They were able to keep it close. Now this Patriots offense is not as talented as that one that the Patriots had in 2013. But if you try to confuse Brady, if you want to throw exotic looks at him, I just think that's a fool's errand and that you will get toasted long a couple times and you could put the game out of reach early. If you want to keep it close, force him to hand it off. And to me, you could do that by dropping a couple safeties on the lighthouse while Tom Brady's yeah. back in that end of the stadium. Well, Phil's got a very cool visual uh, representation of that defense, I believe, on his Twitter account at Phil A. Perry. I think I came across it yesterday. So fascinating stuff in that previous Denver matchup. So Phil, NBC Sports Boston, Pat's Insider. Find him on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on pretty, pretty much every Patriots podcast that there is, pretty much. So, uh, Phil, we will talk to you next week, man. Looking forward to all the coverage. Brady, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Absolutely. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. we got a couple of minutes left. What we'll do, so Phil did it. Yeah, that Twitter stuff is great from Phil. Basically, bait Brady into not throwing the football. And if they run for 200 yards, force some long drives down the field and hope they make a mistake or at least not allow Brady to beat you with big pass plays. So uh, Phil's awesome. We'll do react to some of that interview on Monday, depending on how the game played out. Breaking local news, Thunder Road is canceled tomorrow's Milk Bowl qualifying day. They'll make a decision at 4 p.m. tomorrow about whether or not they will try to condense the Saturday and Sunday events into a one-day show on Sunday or if they'll postpone the entire event to a later date. So that's from Thunder Road. Uh, Red Sox and Nationals, we got about 60 seconds till we say goodbye. Let's get you the lineups on DEV. Remember, no designated hitter for the Sox in Washington, so they've got a weird lineup. They're choosing offense over defense. Kike Hernandez is at second. Kyle Schwarber's in left. Xander Bogarts is at short. Rafi Devers at third. J.D. Martinez is in right, Hunter Renfro's in center, Bobby Dahlbeck at first, Christian Vasquez the catcher, Eduardo Rodriguez is the pitcher. He's 11-8 with a 4-9-3. 
For the Nationals, Thomas Lane in center. Alcides Escobar at short. Juan Soto in right. Josh Bells at first. Kbert Ruiz is the catcher. Jordy Mercer at second. Carter Keboom at third. Andrew Stevenson in left. Josh Rogers is the pitcher. He's 2-1 and one with the 2-7-3. Red Sox baseball on Sunday. Remember, scheduling uh, notes for Sunday. Sox baseball against the Nationals. 3 o'clock first pitch when the game is over. We head into Patriots pregame. And we'll have the kickoff for you at about 8.20. We're back at it on Monday with a scheduled 90-minute show. We'll see what happens with the Red Sox. Hopefully no tiebreaker play-in game is needed. We'll see you on DEV.